You are about to listen to the full interview with Cynthia Cavanaugh. Sections of it were originally included in our Legally Haunted House episode. Cynthia is the daughter of Helen Ackley, who owned the home and was involved in the lawsuit that went to the New York Supreme Court. Cynthia spent many years living in the home and shares her experiences with us. We hope you enjoy. Um, my name is Cynthia Cavanaugh. I was born Cynthia Ackley, and um, I now live in Salem, Oregon. 30 years after the sale of the haunted house I went to, uh, I lived in when I was in high school. Can you tell us a little bit more about One Lavetta Place? What was it like? Can you describe what it looked like? When we first moved in, it was just, let's put it this way. To begin with, my dad had always been a house flipper before you flipped houses. He <laughs> usually, and and the, due to the fact that we moved around a lot since he worked for uh, Martin Marietta, you know, that usually gave him about enough time to go in, find a nice house, add on to it in some way or another, and then we'd move on again. So um, when we went into this one, it was like, oh, we know what we're doing for the next umpteen years. How many years were you in that house? I personally lived there twice for four years the first time, all through my high school years, uh, uh, ninth grade through twelfth grade. But my mother lived there for about 25 years. Wow, 25. What was it like spending your high school years in one Lavetta place? It was mostly learning a lot of uh, refinishing skills and uh, basically, you know, going to high school and, and uh, hanging with my friends and, and things like that. And um, never made it a secret that, that the, uh, we all, all my brothers and my sister and my folks all thought the house was haunted. So my friends, depending on how much they believed or disbelieved in ghosts, just kind of like, okay, that's what you think. That's what you think. So I never got ridiculed for living in a haunted house. But um, as far as I know, nobody was ever scared away from coming over after school and things like that. When did you first discover that the house was haunted? Well, my mom was the first one to be told by an outsider that it was haunted and it was from a group of kids that lived across the street from um, us that uh, the family became, my mother and father became really good friends with their mother and father, the Owslers. And um, so they were playing more or less in their front yard, you know, and we shared a common yard that would basically went down the end of the street if you went clear down the end of the street you'd end up in the in the Hudson um, if you kept growing going straight and it, it was a kind of a clear field and they were out there and and my mom was outside one day and and um, the kids kind of looked around and at her and and they go do you live here now and it's typical kid questions and she goes yes yes we're moving in and you got kids yes we have four kids but they're not here yet they still live in Maryland and uh, she said you want to come in and look around and and a couple of them said sure let's let's go and a couple of them said no that's okay and the the ones that said sure said they think the place is haunted they won't go in and my mom was never sure if it was because 
the house had sat vacant in front of their house for seven years. Nobody had gone into it, which was kind of a, um, my father always thought it was a strange phenomenon because it was right there on the Hudson and um, there were always um, people going up and down, walking up and down the, the riverbanks and in the age of hippies and, and kind of wandering spirits. And the house had never been vandalized in the whole seven years. It, it sat empty. The only problems that were there were inherited because of a house that had sat with no maintenance not because people had gone in and broken windows or graffitied the walls or anything like that. So that in and of itself was kind of a, a like the house was more or less sending out vibes that, you know, if you don't want to respect me, I'm not going to respect you. You can just move on. <laughs> Did you ever see a ghost? And who was the first person in your family to see one? Um... Probably my mom was the first one to see one. I had seen one on several occasions. And um, when I was uh, in high school, I, I will also add to the fact that I also lived in the house from my uh, late 30s until I moved out here into Oregon. I, after my first husband passed, we, uh, I brought my children back to New York to live with her for about three, three and a half years. So um, I've, I've had it on both sides of uh, you know late ad- adolescence and and also middle aged living in a haunted house, the haunted house. Could you tell me a little bit more about the first time your mom told you she had seen a ghost? She basically said that she'd heard footsteps. One of the the things that always uh, baffled her is none of the tradespeople that my father actually had come in we did a lot of the work ourselves the do-it-yourself part of it but he did hire plumbers and and electricians and things like that so he was always in compliance with codes and they wouldn't stay in the house when nobody else was in the house um because as one of the plumbers said nope i spend too much time running up and downstairs seeing who else is in the house with me and my mom was telling us this one evening and and uh, she asked us, well, has anybody else heard anything? And she said, because I never worry about house. It's old. It's creaky. And I just feel like there's people looking out for us. And most of you know, my sister and my brothers mostly agreed with her that, no, nothing really, like, scared you into running to another room. But... The, the first encounter I had with that kind of sensation came with me. One of the first room I had chosen, which later turned into the family dining room slash TV room because of uh, the way do-it-yourself projects work. I was sitting on my bed reading, and like I said, the house was old enough that it did have electricity, but kind of strangely wired and it was a light in the middle of the room was on a pull chain rather than a light switch and I looked up and the uh, pull chain which had a a large crystal marble at the end of it was swinging back and forth but instead of swinging 
back and forth in a complete arc, like somebody had been rolling around on the floor upstairs, which wouldn't have been uncommon because it was my brother's room. <laughs> but it was swinging out as though somebody was standing right under it, flicking it away from them and then waiting for it to come back to center and then flicking it back. And I kind of went downstairs very quickly uh, and go, um, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but my light chain is moving and everybody trapes back up there and by then it had stopped. It was dead still in the middle of the room. Like I said, that was the, my first pick for a bedroom, but then when things got changed around and we really needed to, to gut the downstairs kitchen, that particular room I was sleeping in had a very tiny kitchenette in it. So my dad made the decision to make that into our dining room kitchen while the, the main floor kitchen was being redone. And he saw it over the dining room table do the exact same thing. So I, but nobody else was in the room with him. Did these experiences become normal? Pretty much, pretty much. Um, that wasn't the first experience my dad had had with hearing things or he had actually lived in the house uh, probably about six weeks before we as a family moved in together and being an old house, about every other doorway had a transom over it, an operational transom to, for ventilation and things like that in the heat. And the, his and mom's bedroom had one, which meant if the hall light was left on, it would shine straight in. And my dad had always been a, the darker, the better, the more restful night sleep. And the first night my mom moved in with him, she started to get into bed and she got back up and, and he's going, where are you going? And she goes, to turn off the light in the hall, naturally. It's coming right in the window over there, right? And he goes, never mind. And she goes, what do you mean, never mind? He goes, I don't want to talk about it. And that was the end of their, <laughs> their discussion. Do you think that he was freaked out by it? Yes, he had been, he, he never totally described what happened to him a few weeks before we moved in, but when he found out that the rest of us weren't upset at all about it, he got, so he wasn't upset. Um, so it, it then became one of his topics of conversation as the uh, years went on and the, we received more visitors and, you know, at, at dinner time, he, he asked, well, you know, how'd you guys sleep last night? Did you have any unusual things happen and a lot of times people would no oh, no it was you know very nice or um one cousin um about it was my mom's cousin so he's just uh, about six or eight years younger than she was and um he he said well i kept going down the hall trying to find where the kids were that weren't in bed because i kept hearing people talking and we were all supposed to be going to bed and they should have been in bed an hour ago. And I never found anybody. That was the first that I knew of from an outside source was when my, my cousin Alf heard, uh, heard voices in the hallways. Did you ever invite a psychic or do any search on the history of the house 
to find out maybe what was causing the hauntings? Um, for the most part, no, because it wasn't as easy to search back in the, the 60s and early 70s. The only research we had on the house came from a man that, that uh, lived off and on next door to us. His aunts lived next door, actually, and um, but he was the grandson of the man that built the house. Interesting. What did he say? And he he never he never admitted that there was ever any hauntings when he was a kid. He wasn't there all the time because, it, like I said, he was the grandson. But so he would go in in the summer times and uh, visit with his grandfather and and family up on the Hudson. His only comment to my folks was, well, I'm glad to see the house is back into the hands of somebody who can really appreciate all its attributes or something along those lines. But it took him, a, it took him about, I think I was a senior in high school when, when he, I first heard him talking to my dad about it. Um, yeah, so he, uh, it took him about three years to get comfortable enough with the fact that we weren't freaked out with what was going on to to actually talk to to my dad one way or the other about about the house but you had asked earlier had i ever seen my own personal ghost and i i had i i've seen her about three times over the the course of um my living there and only one time did i actually come face to face with her and it was uh, one evening I was staying up very very late and watching something on TV I'm sure and went to to um, go there was a there is a, a sun porch that has French doors from uh, two rooms off of two separate rooms into the house one of which as I said was the um, our upstairs had been dining room it was later turned into a tv room kitchen and then my bedroom so i i went around to uh make sure that the the uh, french doors were locked because they had a habit of popping open unexpectedly with nobody else was around and i made sure the tv room doors were closed and went in to to uh um go into my bedroom the french doors had long clear clear glass in it and I looked in and there was a woman all dressed in white sitting on the edge of my bed looking into where my um, dresser mirror was brushing her hair and she turned and looked at me and kind of nodded to me and I just nodded back and went back into the TV room and got a glass of water and sat there for a few minutes and then kind of out loud I said I think I need to go to bed now and went back in using the hallway door rather than the, the, uh, the French door and nobody was in there then. So I just went to bed. You saw that spirit two more times. You called her your ghost. Is there a reason you called her your ghost? Did other people in the family have their spirit? Well, my mother had seen a, a, a gentleman. I was, um, I saw her three times while I was in high school, but mostly from behind, like she was 
walking away from me the other two times. Only once did I see her face to face. And then before we moved out here, my, my current husband and I, um, we weren't even in the same room, but he saw her. He described her the exact same way as I described her. And um, I go, oh, you saw my ghost. And he goes, I don't want to talk about it. But when he first seen her, he, he heard her come up the stairs. He heard something come up the stairs. And we'd had the door propped open because it was warm. And on the third floor, it got very warm in the summertime. And something could creak across the, the floor and sat down on the bed. And he opened his eyes and he saw a blonde woman sitting there staring at him. And she just kind of smiled and nodded and then got up, walked back out. And he rolled over and started shaking me going, Sin, Sin, wake up, wake up. And I'm, because I'm sound asleep right next to him. I didn't hear a thing. And I go, what, what? He goes, I, I think I saw her. And I go, saw who? I don't know. She was blonde. I, I said, oh, you saw my ghost. Go back to sleep. <laughs> and then he goes, okay, I don't want to talk about it. That's why I've always referred to her as my ghost, is like she was always keeping an eye on me. My mother saw a gentleman in um, almost pre-revolutionary clothes, and my father saw the foot of somebody wearing a moccasin as he was starting up the basement stairs. It was kind of looked like they were about 15 feet in front of him, and as he went through the, the doorway and looked up the stairs, he saw a moccasin foot walking away down the hall. How did your parents feel about it being haunted? Were they afraid, comforted? Uh, none of us were really afraid. We thought, you know, startled with the way things would pop up and disappear and, and, and people would be around, but I think only once did my mom have any fear even when when she saw the the man sitting in midair, she wasn't afraid of him. She just startled her. But only once in the very late evening, she was out. She was in the the dining room looking out over the Hudson, and she got this feeling of cold next to her, standing there. And she told me, she said, "I'm not sure why I started talking out loud to myself, but I did." And I go. Oh, it's a beautiful night or something like that. I, I'm really always feel so peaceful standing here looking out over the the the, the beauty of, of this house and the dread part that she had first felt um, kind of slowly vanished. And uh, that was the only time that she ever felt alone. That was, my dad was out of town and, and us kids were all in bed asleep and that, that that was the only time that she ever felt like somebody was angry that she was there or or was kind of I don't know looking to provoke her yeah but for the most part everything was was always uh, even like I said all through the years even when after my dad died she always felt like am, am I youngest brother was the only one quasi at home he um my sister was in college and i was uh living in texas i think 
my brother was living in, in Kansas. My brother just younger than me in Kansas. And my youngest brother was getting ready to go to college. But, Ma, you know, we kind of all worried, well, are you going to be okay all by yourself? And she goes, I'm never all by myself. I always feel fine in this house, so don't worry. So she lived another uh, 15 years in the house, more or less alone. What was your mom like just as a person? She always had a, a look on the bright side attitude for most things, uh, most of the time. Looking back, it's like she was never upset with having to pack everything back up into boxes every three to five years and move off into a different direction. Sometimes we went places that she didn't really want to go, but she always made the best of uh, where we were. The, the one time I can remember she didn't really want to go, we had just finished, and it was mostly my father, my mother, and my uh, brother, George, had just finished the renovations on a farmhouse that she, they had bought in Maryland, and we had just moved in, and we, she was getting settled there. And his, my dad's company, out of the blue, made him move to Colorado. So that was probably her least favorite move of all. But in the end, she learned how to ski. So she, she said, couldn't have been all bad. I, I did learn how to ski. So, That's great. Colorado's beautiful. Yeah. She did have problems with uh, altitude sickness. That that was she always felt lightheaded when she was living there, but but due to the fact that they were finally moving into some place that, that they had always talked about living on a piece a piece of property with some acreage and, and some historic value and things like that. And she she felt kind of robbed of the experience you know, mainly because they'd spent months and months making it habitable, and then six or eight weeks later, we're gone again, so. Back to the Lavetta house. She did a story with Reader's Digest about the home. Right. Why did she do that story? She was very public about it being haunted. Right. Um, and she wrote it in the, the mid-70s. Um, she had... She, always loved even back in in high school she kept all her her uh the poems that she wrote and the um the uh essays and things like that she had lots of them and she'd always wanted to be a creative writer she in fact um took several uh creative writing classes just to to uh to learn more about the craft itself so um uh, I think one of the uh, instructors had, that she was taking classes from had, had uh, kind of mentioned, all right, you've learned several lessons here and, and all of you are getting quite good at writing the stories. Now you need to start putting yourself out there if you actually want to, to do this more than just learning how to journal for yourself. You have to learn how to, uh, to face rejection basically, in the, in the long run. So you need to start submitting your, your essays and stories to uh, to different publications and, and see what it feels like when, you know, it's not the class critiquing your work. So the first thing that came to mind was, uh, you know, the Reader's Digest, mainly because uh, the couple that I told you about that lived across the street, 
Mr. Ausler was one of the contributing editors for the Reader's Digest. Uh, so she submitted it to him. Actually, she did what it says to do if you read the fine print on the Reader's Digest, it, and I'm sure it still says that. You know, we're always looking for contributing stories. Send anything you you think is interesting to blah blah. You know, address and and such and such an editor, and she she told Noel, his wife and her best friend, I'm going to submit a story so that if Tony finds out about it, he'll know that I didn't go behind his back, per se. I just didn't want any influence. So he, she submitted it through all the proper channels that any contributing person that wanted to get their work published, um, she did it that way. And um, when it came to the table, from what I've heard, uh, he saw it and he basically goes, all right, I have to excuse myself for this this particular reading um, because this woman is my neighbor. So he just left the room while they discussed it, the rest of the uh, editing staff, as to its merit and did they want it to uh, uh, put it in, in any one of the publications. And you know, because the Reader's Digest paid money to people, you know, even for jokes and, and all things like that. So I think she got paid a thousand or maybe fifteen hundred dollars or so for the, the the article so uh that that was her foray into the i've submitted a piece of work into the the uh universe to be judged by other people and we'll see how it does <laughs> her joke to herself was she was always afraid she kept writing she'd write all the time but she never resubmitted anything else she goes well i don't want I can say I've honestly been a published author and have never had anything rejected. So that gives you a, a sense of what her sense of humor was like. What was the story like that she wrote for Reader's Digest? It, it was basically uh, telling how the kids told her about the haunted house. The, the, the uh, craft people told her that they, as big men doing, you know, heavy-duty jobs were didn't want to stay past the time everybody else left, uh, you know, and she uh, um, put in several of the stories that had been told back and forth through the family and, and stuff like that. When did she decide to sell the house? What was the process? Was it easy? Was it difficult? Like I said, she stayed there for many, many years with, after my father passed, and um, she was kind of our, our backup for all of us kids. Like I said, my my brother George moved in with her. Uh, he had been working overseas um, as a civil engineer in the Middle East for f several years. And, and um, when he came back, he and his wife had quite a, um, a difficult divorce to start with. So he moved back in with mom and, and um, went on to, to meet his now wife. My brother William was back and forth depending on what kind of jobs he he's he's always been our vagabond brother <laughs> he he was there i was also there um with my three ch children after uh my first husband she was always there with a nice big house that lots of people <laughs> could be be in without tripping over everything because 
you know, if you have your typical four-bedroom house, three-bedroom house, and you move in, you know, your daughter and three kids move back in, that, that makes for kind of frayed nerves. But we didn't have that problem so much when... Uh, but the reason she wanted to sell is uh, taxes was it was getting to the point that she knew the, the renovations, the restorations that my father had done, and we had tried to keep up. We're getting to the point that it was a full-time job again. She wasn't up to it. She was then where I am now in life. I'm, I just had a knee replacement, and it's, mm-hmm. I'm trying to re- remodel my bathroom, and I'm going, why did I start this? <laughs> it's like I could see where she was 30 years ago. She just, you know, maybe painting some walls would have been okay, but actually getting down on the floor to, to uh, rip up the carpeting in the bathroom because, you know, come to think of it, why would you put carpeting in the bathroom type of thing? So she, she knew that between the, the um, renovations that needed to be done and, and the taxes, it was just getting to a point where even with uh, after the, the uh, insurance policies that my dad left and after she sold the farm in Maryland, she wasn't sure how much longer she had and wanted to make sure her the assets she had um, would see her through to the end. When she initially puts the house on the market, how quickly was their interest in it? Oh, quite, quite quickly. People, both people that knew about the house and um, things that went on wanted to, you know, and she was never shy about showing people through. But um, I can remember I was, at the time she put the house on the market, um, I was living with her with my children and my new husband, the Mark. And um, so there was quite quite a lot of interest in the house and the fact that it, it had been, when my dad remodeled it, he had made it so there was a kitchen on every floor so that it could be a mother-in-law type situation where where people like we did could move in and, and, you know, you could have your in-laws there or your children move back in, large extended families. Or I remember one time when mom had people come through uh, this uh, one young Jewish couple came in with one of their mothers, I'm not sure which one it was, but the, the older woman goes, well, at least you can cook kosher. <laughs> kitchens in the house and I had not thought of it like that because but to, to truly cook kosher you got to separate your your dishes and your your cooking utensils and everything one from the other did you ever meet the Stamboskis I did once what was your first impression of them Oh, I, I was quite excited for mom because uh, she had told me that they had been through two or three times. So, um, and they were expecting their first child. So I was basically happy for mom. I was getting ready to uh, move out here to Oregon. Uh, Mark had just taken a job out here in Oregon and, and I was really happy that I'm going, oh, well, at least this way, you and William can move to Florida. My brother and her can, he can get you down settled in Florida. And, and I won't have to worry about you packing up your house, you know, six or eight months from now 
after I've already moved to or, or out to Oregon. And so we thought the timing was wonderful. Now, was it a conscious decision to not share that the house was haunted, or was it a mistake, or did... Actually, I remember her telling them kind of offhand. I don't think uh, Mr. Ellis actually put anything out, but whether it was haunted or not, because like I said, a lot of people in, in Nyack especially have haunted houses. There's... Mom's just was the first one to get notarized. Mrs. Domboski had said something to the effect is, yes, this is going to be a beautiful place to raise our family. And my mom's comment was, you know, something to the effect of, I, I'm sure the ghosts will really love having ch young children here. So my, and that was the only time that I know she mentioned ghosts and it was just a, an offhanded remark and, and, my two younger children were um, uh, five and eight, so, you know, they had all grown up, even my children grew up knowing, knowing there were ghosts in the house, so. When did your mom first realize that something was going wrong with selling the house, with the process with the Stambovskis? That I'm not sure of, because like I said, I had already moved out here, so that part of the, the story was was never clear and i'm pretty sure it wasn't made clear to her until after she had already packed up everything and had bought a house in florida and was in the the, the throes of of a total move would that be why your mom decided to take it to court Basically, I know that he requested the down payment back because they wanted to withdraw their purchase. Actually, it, it was not a down payment. It was what was called earnest money. And I don't know if New York has changed their laws since then, but earnest money, from what I was told, was different than what most of the uh, rest of the world and the, the financial world thought of it as a down payment. Most of the time, down payments are considered fully refundable within you know a specified legal time and you know seven seven working days, thirty working days, whatever. At the time, earnest money was to, to was not necessarily refundable, and it was to guarantee that I'm giving you this money because I am so earnest about buying this house that nothing's going to stop me. And um, that's why she, she let it go to court and, and refused to, to refund the money was because it was earnest money. And if you had any mis doubts about it, why did you wait so long before you told me? He had felt that the house was very well publicized as being haunted and that it could devalue the house for future buyers. Did your family feel that way or did you actually think that it added value? We didn't feel one way or the other. It was just a fact of life. So, and and like I said, when I was in high school, we never hid the fact that we lived in a haunted house. Or um, and the, like a, the story came out. So that was in the '60s. The story came out in Reader's Digest in the mid '70s. So by the early '90s, you know, it was pretty much the taking it for granted that yeah. 
<laughs> There's lots of haunted houses in this village. You know, we just live with it. And it wasn't until it wasn't until mom went to court that it actually became the legally haunted house. How was the trial for your mom? The first trial ended up with them siding with your mom based on the concept of buyers beware. How was the trial for her and how did you feel after that ruling? Well, like I said, I was living out here, but uh, and the, the fact that I knew that it was earnest money, not a down payment, and they had lived, you know, with the uh, the knowledge they were moving in for longer than the period of time any contract would give them for grace period, I was kind of you know like, okay, mom, you don't have to return the money. Keep you know, don't worry about it. And, and then when um, they decided to uh, pursue it even further on up the, the uh, to the New York Supreme Court, it kind of surprised me. It's like, well, you know, you kind of knew what you were getting into when you were told that that uh, by the first court that it's buyer beware and was no damage done. You know, your reputation wasn't harmed in any way your your ability to move in wasn't harmed in any way so why should you want to not move into the house i've seen so many pictures of it it's really great it is what was the supreme court trial like i imagine that's a pretty surreal situation to have your mom up at the supreme court of new york again i wasn't there uh she and my brother uh went to the uh the actually went to that particular t trial. I'm not sure if she even attended any of the uh, proceedings for the, the undercourt. You know, she just had uh, a lawyer represent her. And um, uh, so she she uh, did sit in court for the, uh, the Supreme Court ruling. And um, she always took it as, as a win, even though she had to return half the money she only had to return half the money. So again, the glass half half full part of her came through. And it's like, well, they got me a little bit on the part where I couldn't guarantee there wasn't other tenants in the house. But then again, they couldn't prove there were. So I'm happy. <laughs> That's the way she looked at it. One of the things that this court trial is really known for is having a very tongue-in-cheek ruling at the end of it, referencing who you're going to call and certain things like that. I mean, it's known as the Ghostbusters case. Since she got half the money back, did she actually appreciate that sense of humor? Or I could also see the flip side, somebody being offended by it being so flippant. But how did she feel about it? She she wasn't upset at all. She was, you know, like I said, she she said, well, at least... I got to keep half of the, the earnest money because I was earnest with them. And, um, you know, she was able to not long after the, the, the court ruled in the, the favor of discontinuing the contract, she was able to turn around and, and resell it to uh, somebody who swears there were as far as I know, they only lived there a couple of three years, but they swear they never saw any, signs of any hauntings, ghosts, or abnormal creakings in the house. So they weren't at all upset with living there. And um, 
and had no problems turning around and selling the house for a profit from what they sold, they bought it for. How did your mom feel about it being the first legally haunted house? She was kind of proud that it was the first legally haunted house. She, uh, she um, kind of took that as a, a sign that things are progressing in, in the world, that there are things out there that we know nothing about, and we shouldn't be so close-minded as to, to think just because we don't know anything about it, we should fear it. So because she never feared living there. She she didn't think, and, and she'd admit that, yeah, ghost stories and, you know, sometimes people have terrible problems with uh, the supernatural, but um, if you go into it with a, a feeling that, you know, things can be worked out, they usually can. Like when she felt, the, the presence when she was looking out the dining room window. You know, talk it over. Things can, can work out in the long run. Your mom passed away a few years ago, and my understanding is she's not buried far away from there. Why did you lay her to rest near Lavetta? Because it was near where my, my dad was. Mm-hmm. They're, they're together. That's great. That's wonderful. Have you ever been back? In fact, I was back just last Friday, a week ago Friday. Why were you back there? How was it? What was it like? Um, well, we, my husband and I had promised his mom a trip to Ireland for her birthday, which didn't happen. So we went back to, to see her and, and kind of stay with her. So we did some traveling uh, through parts of New York that she'd never been before, even though she's a lifelong New Yorker. Um, she'd never been up to Lake George and things like that. So one time when she had an appointment uh, a week ago Friday, um, we dropped her off and Mark drove me over to the house. And it was the only time we were there, the only day that we were there that it rained and it was kind of drizzly and dark and on again, off again, rain, rainstorm. And we were standing outside the house and I could see from a couple of angles some of the work they'd done and it was looking really really nice uh, from the outside and about the time we were getting back in the car we could hear a gentleman speaking and mark says oh i think someone's out on the back on the deck on around on the side so and about that time his little dogs come running up to the front gate you know, barking at us, and it's like, you know, hi, sweetie, you know, I, I love dogs. And um, the gentleman comes around, and he has a cell phone in his hand, so <laughs> he's kind of like my husband when he's on a phone call, he, he paces. So he, he looks at us, and he goes, uh, can I help you? And I go, oh, I'm sorry, no, we're, we're just leaving. And he goes, and you are? And just as I introduce myself, I go, I'm Cynthia. And my husband said, she used to live here. And he goes, oh, you're the infamous Cynthia Ackley, huh? <laughs> so I have a reputation I didn't even know I had. How did you feel about that? It, it kind of amused me because uh, I didn't know I was infamous. But uh, I said, yeah, I, I did used to live here. But, you know, just go back to your phone call. You know, I'm sure, you know, you're. this is Friday. You're working. We're just, I'm just taking a look at the place and, and we got back in the car and, and left. 
they they have done over the years they've added things that uh my dad never got to like there was never a railing around the outside of this large wraparound porch and one of the past owners had put a, a very beautiful very in keeping with the house and that was one of the stories that the the gentleman that lived next door had told us was um there had been no railing on the house even when it was built and my dad asked scott why and he the scott looks at the uh he goes you see all those bushes down there and my mom goes yeah the barberry it's kind of something i want to get rid of he goes yeah my grandpa planted those he figures if you were stupid enough to stand that close to the edge of the porch and fall off you deserve to remember it and on one side of the house it was a good four four and a half foot drop down off the porch but he didn't want anything spoiling his view of the river so he never put a railing around the porch <laughs> did you see or feel any spirits when you went back no not this time i i do know that when we were at the memorial noel and, and tony ausler had hosted the memorial for us uh after the the uh, church service for my mom's funeral and my sister's boy took pictures of the, the house and after and this was back in the early 2000s so he had a a camera with film not not a digital camera and she got the photographs developed and in two windows that look out the front towards the Alistair's house, you can see handprints and faces looking out the uh, the glass. It's kind of hard to see if you can't make out any features or anything, like there's a real person standing there. You can just see shadows of hands and, and so, yeah. How did you feel seeing that picture? It, it's kind of a, a mixed blessing of a, a feeling towards it. It's like, well, it looks like everybody showed up to say goodbye to her, but is she gone in to live with them or did she go on to, to other other places? And it's one of those things that you kind of ponder and can never find the answer. That's a great place to wrap things up. Do you have any last thoughts about your time at Levetta or the court case or your mom or anything? It was just something that I lived and I enjoyed living there at, at both times I lived there and, and wouldn't trade those parts of my life for anything. Some of them was hard, you know, when the reason I moved back in with mom was hard, but, you know, things still worked out for the very best in the long run. So uh, I've never had anything but, but fond memories of living there. I wasn't so fond moving in because I didn't want to leave my friends again But when I was in high school. But, you know, as far as uh, knowing it's there and still being taken care of in such a um, fine manner as, as going on now, it's like whether they, the people that live there or not have ever had any experiences, I don't know. But, you know, maybe someday somebody else will. Let us know if you would buy a haunted house on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Please give us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Visit www.strange-phenomenon.com 
for a full list of sources and more episodes. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Torara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Torara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheremizanov.